Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. We are kicking off a brand new series today called Live Differently. Live differently. Come on, somebody say live differently. Johnny, I didn't get your permission to tell this story, but you've told it, so I'm going to tell it if that's all right. Baby Blue Eyes, Johnny's one of my closest friends. And uh, I remember, Johnny, you told this years ago, and I think you were doing some inner city work, and um, you were trying to deliver a box springs and mattress to a family in need. You remember that? You know where I'm going with this. Yeah, so, so John, Johnny has a huge heart for our community, loves working with families in need, and so he discovered a family that needed a bed. They didn't have a box springs and mattress, and so at the time, Johnny was driving a little Mazda truck, and Johnny's words, it was a sorry excuse for a truck. That was Johnny's word. Don't get mad at me, and if you're driving a Mazda, come on, everybody say, God bless Mazda trucks. But it wasn't a full-size truck, and so he's trying to squeeze this box springs and mattress in the back of his truck. Now, he didn't have anything to tie it down with. Mm, come on, somebody say, oh, me. But baby blue eyes was going to improvise. So he's thinking, man, let me just get it wedged in there just right. So he pushed, and he squeezed, and he tugged, and he got the mattress. Just And, and you know, famous last words. Guys, when you tie something down, what's the last thing that you say? Oh, yeah, that ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Johnny's rolling down, I think it was Sherwood Forest. Where you going at Sherwood Forest? And it was right about the place, the Golden Corral. Johnny's one of his favorite places. Johnny cried when Golden Corral shut its doors. Johnny's he's headed down Sherwood Forest, right about Golden Corral, and he's looking up, and in his rearview mirror, he sees a blue mattress hovering over the back of his truck. I mean, it is attached to nothing, touching nothing, and it's hovering over the bed of his truck. Well, it catches a gust of wind and sails over the car in the lane next to him and starts heading to the side of the road. He was relieved that it didn't hit a car, but he panicked when he sees this guy standing on the side of the road and he sees this mattress headed straight for him. Some guy just chilling, man, right there on the corner of Sherwood and Corsi. And he sees a flying mattress and in order to avoid the mattress, he jumps in the ditch to get out of the way. And at this moment, Johnny did what any caring, loving, godly pastor would have done. He kept on driving. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Johnny, did you leave that mattress on the side of the road? Yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> I want to talk to you about being anchored. You see, your faith has got to be anchored and tied down to something greater than yourself. If you're not tied down to truth, 
then you're going to be a victim to whatever gust of wind comes by. How many of you know that the winds are always blowing? And the winds are always changing. And, and what, was, what was wrong one day seems to be okay today. What was okay one day seems to be condemned today. Uh, you know, we're, we've been in this you know, series called Revival. We kicked off the year. We had revival services. Man, people's hearts are turning to the Lord. I don't know if you've seen this, but I, I've been seeing over the last couple of days on social media at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky, there's a revival that has broken out among the students there. They started a chapel service on Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, and it has not stopped here. On Sunday, they've been running, I mean, 24-7. But you know, revival is more than just an unending service. It's about hearts repenting and turning to God. It's about confession. It's about radical life transformation. I felt like the best way to follow up a series on revival was to talk about living differently. When you experience the power and presence of God, things change in your life. The things that you used to do, you no longer want to do. The direction you used to go has changed. You no longer want to go down those roads. You start to think different thoughts. Can I have a good amen? You start to embrace a different set of values. Can somebody help me preach this morning? Living differently. God has called us as the body of believers to stand up, to stand out, and to bring change to our world. Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to live counter-culturally in Daniel chapter 3. You know, because all of us are in this space, we're in this space where we are to engage culture, yet maintain our Christian distinctives. Now, now maybe you're not a believer here this morning, maybe you're curious, maybe, maybe you've got a, a little skepticism, maybe you're trying to figure some things out. I don't know where you find yourself, but I do know that as followers of Christ, he's called us to be different. Uh, not for the sake of difference, but to be different in order to make a difference. And, and you know, we've got to manage the tension of being in the world, but not being of the world. Of engaging culture, but not being changed by culture. And Daniel chapter 3 is probably the greatest, it's one of my favorite narratives in all the Bible, but I think it speaks perfectly to this idea of living differently. This is the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you have heard this before? Or if you're like me, if you were raised on Veggie Tales, it's the story of Rack, Shack, and Benny. Come on, somebody. Now, let me give you some context before we read this portion of Scripture. The Jews were in exile. The Jews, the, the southern kingdom uh, was in exile. For the first time since the time of Joshua, some 800 years, they were no longer in the promised land, but the, they were in what's called Babylonian captivity. God had warned his people, if you don't honor me, if you don't live for me, you are going to come under some bondage and you're going to forfeit what I've given you. And so here we see this, uh, this exile, the Babylonian exile, and the scripture tells us, history tells us that as they were carried into captivity, 
They took some of the best and the brightest. There were about 8,000 young men that were carried from Jerusalem far away into Babylon, and they were enlisted in a training program. The king at the time was Nebuchadnezzar, and he was going to reprogram these young men. He was going to indoctrinate them and train them in the culture, the customs, the language, and the literature of the Babylonians. In fact, he changed their names. They had Hebrew names who spoke of the presence and faithfulness of God, but then they called them by Babylonian names to speak of the gods of that land. Can I tell you, culture is not doing anything new. The times are maybe different, but the strategies are the same. Can you say amen? In Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 3, the Bible says this. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And a herald shouted out, people of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all the other musical instruments, when you hear that sound, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? You see what's happening here. It's interesting that Babylon literally means Babel. It's where we get our word babble or confusion. This statue represented the full pantheon of Babylonian gods. And the king was so proud of himself and of his power, he built this statue. Scripture tells us it was 90 feet tall on the plain of Dura. And he gives this command and says, anytime you hear the sound of the music, bow to this statue. Can I tell you something, church? We are living in modern-day Babylon. How many of you know the pressure to bow is real? Man, you can feel it. You can see it. Man, you, you can sense it in the culture. You read headlines of what's happening in our school systems. You, you can read it across politics, and even through mainstream media. There is a pressure that's being applied for people to bow. Now, you know the story in Daniel 3. Those of you that are familiar with this scripture, you know how it ends, but I want to set this up in a very real and tangible way because the pressure to bow is all around us. You know, these boys weren't trying to be heroes, but they had something special. And this is what, as your pastor, I, I get it. I want you to know that I sense the same things that you sense. I feel the same things that you feel. I'm not living in some cocoon or some, some holy bubble. I, I, I'm on the streets like you are. I'm in the community like you are. I watch the same news, and, and man, I, I'm, I'm sensing the same things that you sense. My heart for you. These boys were not trying to be heroes, but they had something special. And my desire is that you have the same thing that they have. Because in a world that tells you to bow, I pray that God gives you the strength to stand. I pray that God gives you some backbone. Come on, somebody. How many know we got too much wishbone? Not enough backbone. Oh, well, I just wish things would change. 
Oh, God, and sometimes our prayers are wishful, but God says, no, I'm giving you some backbone. I'm giving you the strength to stand when others bow. These boys had some things, and I'm praying the same for you and me and for our children, too. You know, number one, if you're taking notes, they were prepared. Everybody say prepared. Somewhere along the lines. Now, listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were teenagers, teenage boys, far away from home. You ever been on a trip with teenage boys? A long way from home. Come on, I was in youth ministry for 10 years. We did camps. We did retreats. We did lock-ins. We did sleepovers. I mean, when you get a group of teenage boys together, how many know you need the help of the Holy Ghost? <laughs> there were times when I was away from home. How many of you ever took a trip man, when you were young and growing up, or maybe you're a student here today, when you get away from home, it's kind of like, all right, freedom, woo, mama ain't here, daddy ain't here. Man, I'm, finally, I get to live my life. Shackles, man, are broken. I'm going to do what I want to do. Come on, can I, am I talking to anybody up in here? And just as soon as my friends would begin to, to veer off the path and kind of experiment or explore in something that I knew was wrong, you know what? I would always hear my mama's voice. Somebody say, thank God for a praying mom. And I could just hear her call me by my full name, Michael Howard Heyman. Somebody like, oh, poor pastor, your middle name's Howard. <laughs> yes. I think our parents gave us middle names to let us know that when, hey, this is when I mean business. When I call you by that middle name, you better come. I could hear her say, Michael, Howard, hey, I could still see my dad raising that eyebrow. I can't do it. You know, I may have left home. But what I learned at home never left me. Somewhere along the line, these teenage boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had parents, they had pastors, they had coaches, they had teachers, they had mentors. Somebody had prepared them for this moment. If you wait for a crisis to determine what you'll do, how many of you know it's too late? It's what you prepare in advance for. The scripture reminds us in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he gets older, what? He's not going to depart from it. Moms and dads and grandparents, because I know we have grandparents raising grandkids, uh, pastors and teachers and coaches, we have a responsibility to put something into this next generation. And there's a promise that goes with it. When you deposit truth in a young person's heart, oh, that seed of truth, it will not return void. It'll work as a compass because you can't follow your kids into every situation. You can't go to school. How many of you wish you could go to school with your kids? Oh, yeah. We wish we could helicopter. Man, we wish we could hover. We wish we could be a part of every conversation. Listen, you can't. I can't. We are sending our kids into Babylon. But we have to trust that what we have planted in their hearts will speak to them during times of testing. 
Every day I pray over my children, and I've done it for years. My oldest is 24, and my youngest is now 15. Every single day I prayed four things over my kids, four things. Here's what I prayed. I prayed, Lord, let them be a light on their campus. You know what? They're going into dark places. God, let their light shine for you. Lord, number two, let them be a leader and not a follower. Come on, leaders sometimes go against the flow. They don't always go with the flow. Come on, are you with me? And I pray this, number three, Lord, may they always do what's right, even if nobody's watching. Because God, you're watching. You're a part of every conversation. You know our thoughts and motives and the intents of our hearts. God, you're with us. And Lord, let them be strong. In temptation. And I say it just like that. And they're like, man, what is wrong with that? You know why? Because I can't eliminate every temptation, but I can pray that God make them strong in it. Giving them the strength to stand when everybody else is bowing. I prayed over my kids, Lord, put a spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in them. Let, let them be stand-up Christians in a bow-down world. Lord, equip them from head to toe in the full armor of God. Moms and dads and grandparents, we need to invest the truth into our kids because Babylon is trying to indoctrinate them, trying to reprogram them, trying to label them, erase their biblical identity, and train them to think in the ways and the spirit of the world. Are you catching this today? <laughs> kids who are healthy on the inside have an easier time resisting pressure from the outside. You see, unless something greater is in you, then the pressure around you will cause you to bow. Maybe you didn't get this training growing up. Some of you are saying, well, pastor, I didn't grow up like this. I wasn't a part of a home you know, where, where the word of God was valued and honored. My heart as your pastor is that when you come here, you will be trained and equipped in this book. My job is not to entertain you every Sunday. My job is to equip you, and, and it's to get you in this book right here because this book will anchor your faith. When the winds blow and everybody's flying in different directions, you'll be tied down to truth. Can I have a good amen? You know, the devil's going to punch you in the face. Come on, how many of you have been hit square in the face by the devil? It's what you do after. Come on, somebody say after. Devil, some of you this week, he's punched you in the mouth. It's what you do after that will determine your destiny. I want to teach you how to fight. You see, the Bible's given us weapons and armor. Come on, somebody. Giving us the helmet of salvation to protect our mind and our thoughts. The breastplate of righteousness to guard our heart and our spirits. The shield of faith to block every fiery dart of the enemy. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to slice and dice the devil and cut him down to size. The belt of truth that holds up our dignity, our honesty, and our integrity. And for shoes, he's given us the gospel of peace. And may those shoes order our direction and give us purpose in every step. But my question to you is this. What good is all the armor without the warrior on the inside? Give us men and women who know how to fight the good fight of faith. Psalm 144 verse 1, the Bible says, bless the Lord. He is my strength. He teaches my hands to war. He gives me skill for battle. Come on, somebody say preparation. 
Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. When you prepare, you won't have to repair. <clears throat> Number two, somebody say conviction. Not only were these young men prepared, but they were full of conviction. Imagine being the only people standing. Imagine, the, I, I feel like the Lord, would, he dropped this in my spirit during worship, and I want to share this with, with somebody right now. You need to hear this. Because you feel like you're the only one trying to stand. God's saying, when you stand, you never stand alone. You may feel lonely, but you are never alone. On the plain in Abdura in Babylon, in this 90-foot statue, the music plays, and everyone in the kingdom bows except for three boys. Now, think about the pressure to bow. I mean, it could have been, hey, guys, look, this is a little awkward. Why don't we just tie our shoe? Let's just, let, we just, oh, just tying my shoe. Not really bound because, Lord, I really love you, but, oh, I got to tie you. You need to tie your shoe, too. We're just tying. We're not bowing. We're, we're tying. All right, I'm just doing push-ups. Just doing a quick push-up here. Just actually, I'm not bound. You know, they could have thought of all different kind of ways to finesse it. But what they had learned in Jerusalem never left them. They may have been in Babylon, but Babylon was not in them. Look at what the Scripture says. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, 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 now the king gets word that these boys aren't bowing. So he calls them in to question them. He's going to interrogate them. Now, they know the cost. They, they, they know what they're up against. And here's what they said. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, he's able to save us. Not only is that, but he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now, here, here, this is probably the richest part of the text that I can draw your attention to. I want you to see the conviction that these young men had. They said three things. They declared three things. Number one, hey, we know that God can. How many of you know God is able? Uh, let me stop right here and say this. Do not make God small. When you pray, don't make God small. How many of you know he's not a smurf? The Bible says that man just from the blast of his nostrils, I mean, it's like a sneeze, achoo, the foundations of the world were laid. Don't you put God into a small box. You see, these boys knew that God was able. Somebody say he's able. His arm is not short. His ear is not deaf. I don't know what your need is, but when you go to the Lord with a need, don't make your need bigger than God. You begin to focus on the size of your God, then your need gets brought down to size. They said, hey, we know that the God we serve is able. Somebody say, God is able. So, hey, 
We, we know that he can, but we believe that he will. You see that? There's a difference in knowing that he's able and trusting his heart for you to help you. Well, God, I know you can solve his problem or her problem. I know you can bring healing to that body, but sometimes we have a hard time applying it to ourselves, don't we? I can pray for you and your sickness, but it's hard for me to struggle to, to believe that God wants to heal me. I can believe that God wants to be good to you and your family and your children and your finances and your future and ordering your steps, but sometimes I'm walking my journey. God, I know that you can, but I'm not really sure you will for me. Not only is God able, but he's willing. You need to know the heart and nature of God is to bless. He wants to care for his children. The scripture reminds us, Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How many of you, we want to bless our kids. We want to equip our kids. We want to prepare our children. If we, being natural, know how to do that for our kids, how much more will our heavenly Father do that for us? Uh, we know that you can. God, we believe that you will, but here's, here's where it gets good. Even if you don't. Now, th th this, is, this is power at a whole nother level. This is full of conviction. I am not predicating my faith in God on an outcome. How many of you know God owes us nothing? Sometimes we pray, and it's almost like, well, God, if you knew how good I really was, surely you'll do this for me. How do we know that we don't tie the hands of God? We don't obligate God to do anything. God owes me nothing. I owe him everything. And so, Lord, I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for a miracle. I'm going to believe for the supernatural. I'm going to trust you for breakthrough. Lord, I know that you can. I believe that you will. But even if you don't, my faith is unwavering. It's not going to blow whichever direction the wind blows. It's anchored to the word of God, to his character, and to his nature. And I know that God will always have the final word, whether it's in this life or it's in the next life. You see, I'm living, and this is the point where I'm at in my life. I'll be 49 next month. Can you believe that? I know. It's amazing. I look fantastic, don't I? <laughs> I'm going to be knocking on the door of 50 next month, okay? I'll be 49 in March. And I'm to the point in my life where I am living my entire life to hear five words from one man. Come on, the high five. Give somebody a high five. When I get to heaven, I want God to give me the high five. You say, Mike, what are the five words? The five words are this. Well, done, good, faithful servant. Uh, that tells me this. That if I have the smile of God, I don't care if I'm canceled by culture. I'm not trying to, to win anybody else's approval. Come on. When you live your life for an audience of one, 
Let them make up stuff about you if they have to. Let them print whatever they want to. Let them, let them go to social media and spew all kinds of stuff. I don't care about that because I'm living for an audience of one. You see, when we, when we placate to the crowd, we give crowds too much platform in our lives. Some of us are living for the crowd. If you live for the crowd, you'll always bow. If you're living for, for followers, and I got to get more followers on Facebook, and man, I got to get more likes on this post, and, and I got to build my platform and so, so that I can, can be loved by the masses. Jesus said, hey, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. How many know when we say yes to Jesus, we change course and we change direction, and sometimes we will stand in the face of adversity under critique and criticism, under the threat. Now, maybe that's not a fiery furnace like these boys, but under the threat of being canceled. There's a cost to following the Lord. We don't talk about that enough in churches these days. We say, hey, give your life to Jesus, and man, everything's going to work out fantastic. How's it working out for you? <laughs> no! You give your life to Jesus, and you're going you're gonna to lose some friends, and you're going to gain some enemies. When you go against the flow, it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be some hard days, and you're going to feel like you're standing by yourself. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, I got to hustle. Look at what it says, verse 24. So they throw him in the fire. You know what happens. Suddenly, verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement, and he exclaims to his advisors, wait, 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 wait a second now. Didn't we tie up three men? Come on, somebody say three. Didn't we throw three men into the furnace? Well, well yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Verse 25, look, the king shouted, I see four men. Come on, somebody say a fourth man. I see four men. They're unbound. They're walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Now, 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 now okay, I got to hustle. I got to hustle. He's that fourth man. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone. Watch this. When did the pagan king actually see God. Somebody had to go through the fire. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Holy Ghost is telling some of, because some of you are in fire right now, and you're saying, Lord, deliver me. God, get me out of this. Lord, rescue me from the flames. And God's saying, no, I'm going to leave you in that flame, but guess what? I'm going to be with you. Why? Because somebody needs to see Jesus. There's somebody at your workplace. There's somebody at your school campus. There's somebody in your neighborhood who is contrary to the things of God. And it's only going to take fire to reveal Jesus to them. Are you willing to go through the fire so that somebody else can see Jesus? Oh, come on. Come on. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I need to bring the band up. Get the band up. The clock tells me I'm done. <sighs> I've stopped praying prayers of, 
Lord, deliver me from it. I've started praying prayers of, God, be with me in it. Some of you are fighting some things in your, in your family, and you're wanting deliverance, and God's saying, no, 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 I'm going rev- to show up in the fire so that you and everyone around you can see me. They may have been in Babylon, but Babylon was not in them. They were full of conviction. You know what else is interesting, too? I don't have time to preach this. And we don't have to put these notes up because I need to wrap up. These guys were respectful. Okay? I felt like it was important to say this. Notice how they addressed the king. Your majesty. Did you see how they, they called him your majesty twice? Some of us, we feel like in order to stand for our faith, we got to get on social media and blast somebody else. We think that we're doing God a favor by mocking somebody, by taunting somebody, by shaming somebody. <laughs> Listen to me, church. You can be strong in your convictions, and you can be kind in your spirit. Don't blow your testimony standing for God. Are you with me? Well, I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to stand for righteousness. And then we get out there and act a fool. Come on now. And we, we become the very thing we despise. The things that you criticize in your enemies, you start to become and don't even realize. And you burnt so many bridges. Well, bless God, I'm, I'm standing for the Lord. But you're, yeah, you're, to obey God does not mean being obnoxious. How many of you know you don't have to be a jerk to stand for your faith? They were so respectful to the king in their stance. Hey, king, we respect you. But you can throw us in that fire, and we're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. And guess what? They didn't even burn. Bible says, the king brought them out. Get these guys out of here. What, what is going on? What, what, what happened? Y'all, y'all don't even smell like smoke. How many know you can't grill burgers without smelling like, like smoke for the next three days? What is going on? New rules. The king says, okay, new rules. Game changer. There's only one true living God. And it's the God of these three Hebrew boys. And anybody who defies the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, new rule now. Forget that statue out there. You better worship the one true living God. Isn't it amazing how the indoctrination program that was supposed to change Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God used those three boys to change the king and an entire nation? That's what I call living differently. Can I have a good amen? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.